Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you all. If you, if you did not get a bulletin, I encourage you to just raise your hand and we'll bring one to you because there's a handout that's in there and uh, you'll want that to, to use as we study through. But we are in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this time to be here together to study your word. I pray, Lord, that you would enable us to understand your intent in the passages before us. I pray that not only would we understand, but that your word would be planted deep within our hearts and that they would prove to, each word would prove to be fruitful today for the duration of our lives, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you cause yourself on this morning to be exalted in this church for your glory and for our joy. May every part of today be a time of worshiping our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been studying the book of Ephesians. We come to chapter 6, the final chapter in the book of Ephesians. And here the, the author of Ephesians, Paul, is, is, is writing this and he comes to a, a place of last thoughts as they're inspired by the Holy Spirit for the church at that time. In verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith which is, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I know there's church members here who have served in the military, and you've served in um, all kinds of different circumstances. Others have served in law enforcement or continue to serve in law enforcement. You've been in, in circumstances in which you had equipment, you had weaponry, you had things that you, you needed to know about, you wanted to know about. If I were in the midst of, of, of battle, in the midst of harm's way, I would want to know what each and everything is able to do, is able to be, the way that it's able to be used to, to protect me and to protect others and to fight the enemy. I wonder how we would take this passage if we could see all of the principalities and powers, rulers of darkness. Like if, if we could see everything that is around us in that spiritual realm, I wonder if we would take these things more seriously. 
if we could see. I mean, God, God tells us that, that here he, he inspires us, like, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Meaning, like, you're not going to be able to do this on your own. So you're going to need to be strong in the Lord. And you're going to need to be, you're going to need to be strong in the power of his might. You're going to need something far more than what you are ever going to be able to offer up. God says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put this armor on so that you're able, so that you will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the the, the schemes of the devil. What the devil and and his hosts are are aimed at, at doing, of, of hurting you. And God tells us elsewhere in Scripture that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But I wonder what it would do as far as the way in which we approach Ephesians 6 if we could see the devil like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Or if we could see who we're wrestling against. It's not flesh and blood but it's principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We see things that look demonic. We see things that appear to be of the enemy. But if we could really see the way in which they desire harm towards us, to kill and to steal and to destroy, to hurt us, to make people think far less of our Savior, to destroy families, to destroy relationships, to destroy Christians, churches, to put us on the bench as far as not wanting to engage in this Christian life. If we could see what they were trying to do, would we look at this text differently? Because here, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to say, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Take up the whole armor of God, put this on so that you are able to withstand in the evil day. Meaning that when the evil comes at us, when we become his target, will you be able to withstand? But then he says, and having done all to stand. Having done all, everything that you possibly could, there is urgency here in the text, isn't there? It's very clear as the Holy Spirit's inspiring this, that there is urgency here having done everything that you possibly can to stand so approach it like that i think of of those that get knocked down just thrashed 
spiral into deep depression, have no hope, lose their vigor and their passion for the kingdom of God, for the gospel, for proclaiming the good news to the lost. Those who, who no longer have a passion to worship, you, you, you show up and, and, and you know that you are in that category of being lukewarm, but you're just okay with that. There's no passion that's there. You go about life, you, those that, 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 they're just going about life. Not a lot of joy, not a lot of love, not a lot of passion for the things of God, a focus on the things of the world, or being grumpy or just being irritable and not running well at all on the bench. I wonder if, if they look and think, this is the result of the enemy coming at me with his fiery darts, doing all that he can to destroy me, and he's won. Or do they say, no, I have a right to be like this because circumstances went this way and these people's lives are so much better and my life stinks because of this and if only this would have happened, then I would have had joy or whatever it is that they give excuses for. Or is there a, a rationale that looks and says, like, no, I, I got just thrashed by the enemy and that's why I'm in the condition that I'm in right now. Do they look back and think, I did not do everything I could to stand? Just didn't. I, just, I was walking on the fence. I was consumed with the things of the world. I, I didn't care too much about what the armor looked like. I didn't care too much about what God's Word said. I was there more for the friends. I was there more for the singing. I was there more for the fun but not realizing that I was going to go into a battle and get just nailed by a tank. If they could go back and look at the circumstances, would they go back and say, I need to take up the whole armor of God that I might be able to withstand in the evil day, and I need to be in such a place where I can say, and I have done all to stand. To stand. Because we all know that there's those that are in a place of being lukewarm. There's those that are in a place of loving the things of this world. There's those that are in a place of being disqualified to, to be in a place where um, the joy is gone. The letting goods and kindred go in this mortal life also has brought you to a place of not more passion for the things of Christ, but more sitting on the bench and being sad about it. I look in the scripture of a seriousness that's here. Therefore, 
Since you're going against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Do it. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. The good news is that his mercies are new every morning. The good news is that God is a sovereign God that works in us and through us, that he has circumstances that come into our lives. He has you here today. He has it where his Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today to be able to approach the things of this life in a radically different way. And he gets all of the glory for making the changes in your life. He does that. God does that. And that's what he very well may be doing this morning in my heart and the hearts of each and every person here. Coming to the place of trusting in him and knowing that there's evil days that are coming. Knowing that there's more fiery darts that are coming. Knowing that there's more spiritual attacks that are coming and saying, I want to have done all to stand. I want to do everything I can to stand. I want to put on the whole armor of God, the full armor of God. I want to be able to do this that I might be able to stand. So there's urgency that's here. The first thing that they mention is this, as Paul writes this. Stand therefore, okay? (laughs) Again, every word here matters. Done all to stand. Stand therefore. Stand. Don't fall. Get off the bench. Put on the whole armor of God and therefore stand. Stand. And then it gives the first part of the whole armor of God. Having girded your waist with truth. Stand, therefore. And here's the first thing that you do. Gird your waist with truth. Put on the belt of truth. Now, you got to imagine in this day what it was like as far as what a Roman soldier would have looked like. In that day, they would have worn robes. They would have come down towards the ground, and they would have worn robes. Different styles and different times. Some of you guys went through the styles of the Jordache look and Calvin Klein and tight jeans. Um, I miss that by the grace of God. And then the next time the tight jeans came along, which has been recently, um, I got the jeans that weren't tight and they still were tight. But I, I, it wasn't by choice. <laughs> Some of you guys grew up with the saggy pants look, which, by the grace of God, I also missed. But there's different styles at different times, and at this time, they had robes, soldiers wearing robes. And so it was absolutely vital for them to take their their robes and to gird them around the waist with a belt. You would want to take that robe and roll it up, put a belt around it, cinch it on tight so that you're able to move. Who wants to go to battle in a dress? Can you imagine trying to run in a dress? Can you imagine trying to fight in a dress? Can you imagine trying to do anything wearing a big, long robe that's coming down? You don't want any of that. You want to be able to have something that's been girded up. 
That, that belt's tight around your waist. It's holding that in position. You're in a place where you're able to move. You're able to fight. You've got everything where it's supposed to go because you know that there's an enemy that's coming and you don't want to be tripping over your clothing. You don't want it to get in the way. You don't want to be falling. You want to be in a place where you're actually able to move. And so Paul, as he's either chained up to a soldier as he's here in prison, looking at his, his armor, looking at all that he's wearing, or having known, because there's Roman soldiers everywhere around where he's at, they all know exactly what he's talking about. You're going to take that robe, you're going to put a belt around it, gird it around your waist. And so Paul's saying, take Take first that robe, roll it up, and put this belt around it, the belt of truth. And cinch that up. Let's start there. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that you're to tell the truth? I don't think so. I don't think that, that when I think of the armor of God and what I want to put on. The first thing I'm going to put on is not going to be what I'm able to do. The first thing that I'm going to put on is the truth of God's Word, the foundation that is there, because I need it. Now you go down further in the text and it tells us about the sword of the Spirit. And it says specific, specifically, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we know that that sword is, in fact, the Word of God. Swords used in a way in, in, in which the enemy comes at Christ and he responds with, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Or thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The sword is there with Scripture to be able to combat the enemy in all different circumstances. But I don't think that's what it's talking about here when it says take up the whole armor of God. Having girded your waist with truth. The truth that's being mentioned here is the truth of all of Scripture. The essential truths that we have in our lives as Christians believe those things, have those things that are there. Not necessarily Scripture that we use as a sword to be able to fight, but that Scripture and the truths of Scripture in which we stand on. We stand on them. And you know what? The enemy does everything he can to attack truth, doesn't he? I mean, you see it there in the early church where there's attacks after attacks after attacks that are coming upon the early church. The Gentiles, they must be circumcised. And then we see that attack, um, that lie be quenched by God's perfect word. We see attacks going against the church as far as the deity of Christ. We have see attacks going against the church as far as the Trinity. We, have, we see attacks in the early church, all kinds of different things as far as the, the fact that, God's, that Christ is fully God and fully man. And we see attacks going against the church 
for the last 2,000 years as well. Recently, we see attacks of things like, how do you even know that this is true? Relativism has been something that has just absolutely been used by the enemy to where when you say something like, there's one way, there's one truth, and this is it, you look like the most narrow-minded, hateful person that isn't open to anything else. When you put a, a sticker on your car that says, coexist, you just look at, oh, they're so loving, embracing towards everybody. And yet, what if they're wrong? I mean, how can you have Jesus be God, fully God, fully man, and then have Jesus be only a prophet, like in Islam? How do you have Jesus be fully God and fully man, our Savior, the one who created all things, the one in which everything exists, exists for Him and for His glory, and Mormonism, where Jesus and Satan are brothers. Oh, but if you were there and you said anything negative about Mormonism not being Christianity during previous elections, you look like the most narrow, divisive, hateful person because you're not willing to accept everything. And yet, when the essentials of the Christian faith vary dramatically then from the doctrine of the Church of Latter-day Saints, do we embrace all of it? When the Bible tells us that you're saved by faith alone, but another religion says, no, you're not saved by faith alone, do we just pretend like it's the same because we just want to all get along? Let's just all get along. Or is there something that's true and another thing that's false? Are we saved by faith alone? Is Scripture the Word of God? Is Jesus fully God and was He fully man here on earth? Did He die on the cross and pay the full price for our sins? Did He rise again from the dead? Will He forever be at the right hand of the Father? Will He ever forever intercede for us? Will He be the one in whom we worship day and night and whom all glory goes to? Or not? There's one truth and we believe it to be found in the pages of Scripture. But Satan has done everything to attack that. You can't know for sure that that's true. It's just another book. It's a good book. But you don't know that it's true. Yes, I, I know that it's true. I mean, when you look at the prophecies that are given in Scripture and see them fulfilled one after another, after another, after another, hundreds of them, When you see the unity in Scripture from beginning to end, talking about God's plan of salvation for mankind, even though it was written by 40 different people on three different continents and three different languages over a period of 1,600 years, and yet there's complete unity all the way through. When we look at Scripture and find it to be without error and trustworthy, sufficient for all things that we need to know, do we say, no, it's, it's good, but it's outdated? Or do we say this is truth? 
This is absolutes. This is what we can know for sure. We believe that it is truth. And Satan has attacked it over and over and over again, and yet God's word continues on. Radically changing lives, just like he's done in this sanctuary. Radically changing lives. And yet Satan has gone hard against the truths of Scripture. Satan has gone to a place of making it so that this isn't trustworthy. It has to be where it's interpreted through the church. The Roman Catholic Church or whatever other church says that their understanding of it takes precedence. And we say no. Absolutely not. This is the Word of God. This is the authority. This alone is our authority. If you look at the pages of Scripture and you look at the early church, you look at what it describes the churches, does that look like the Roman Catholic Church? No, it does not. If you look at the Roman Catholic Church today, does it look like the church here in the early church? Absolutely not. It's a radical difference between the two. Popes have changed their position over the years, over the centuries, over and over and over again. God's word does not change. It's perfect. It's without error. It's authoritative. It's true. And yet attacks have gone against God's word over and over and over again for centuries. But as believers, we start with the belt of truth, meaning this is true. This is what we believe. This is what we base our lives on. Because we need that. We need that foundation to know what it is that is real, trustworthy, authoritative, what we're to believe. And it's not found in psychology. And it's not found in worldly wisdom. And it's not found in anything other than the revelation of God found in the pages of Scripture. And yet Satan has done everything to attack the truth. And so to begin with, as we look at how do we stand, it, it must begin with this, that this is God's Word. If you look at in your handout there, 2 Timothy 3.14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's sufficient for every, for every good work. God's word's true. Christ said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The belt of truth. Girded about with truth. God's word is true. It's the truth. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. It's the truth, and it works in you. The Holy Spirit uses it. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. God uses the truth of His Word to give us the foundation that we need. Second Peter 1, 20, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. 
But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is God-breathed. It is exactly what God would have for us as far as what He desires for us to know about Him, about us, about God's plan of salvation, about how we ought to live. It's all found in the pages of Scripture. So start out there of truth is found in Scripture. But you go from there to what other things do we need to know as the enemy comes at us in all different directions? You've got to be able to know from Scripture the nature and the attributes of God, His character, what He's like. A triune God that we serve. 1 Peter 1-2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Or Matthew 28-19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. A triune God. Just because someone says, well, we believe in Jesus too. If it's not the Jesus of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's not the same Jesus that we worship. And we must stand on that truth because the enemy would love us to all get along and no longer care whether Christ is Almighty God or not. And it matters. If He is not Almighty God, then He is not the God of the Bible. And... What he did for us on the cross would never cover our sins. It matters. His omnipotence. Satan would love for us to not believe that God's all-powerful. So part of having the belt of truth is to be able to say, no, we serve a God who's all-powerful over all things. Psalm 115, verse 3, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Or Ephesians 1:11, in Him also we've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Oh, you guys, when something tragic comes into your life and the enemy says, where's God right now? How could a tsunami hit like that? How can an earthquake occur like that? How can a car run into a crowd like that? How can a plane go into a tower like that? Where is God when these things are happening? For you to say, He was there. He was sovereign. He was in control. Even of the most tragic of events, Cancer cells, heart attacks. You have to have a belt of truth that says that our God is in heaven, He does whatever He pleases. He's sovereign. I trust Him. You got to start with a view of God that says, I trust you. I don't understand it. I may never understand it. Though you slay me, yet I'll trust you. I may never get why any of these happen, but I know a truth, and that is God's sovereign. He's in control. There's nothing that's outside of His control. There's no cancer cell that's outside of His control. He is all-powerful. He is God. He does whatever He wills to do, and He's sovereign over it all. 
you got to have that belt of truth or you will trip and you will fall and you will fumble and you will be just taken out quickly if you don't have a view of God that sees him as being in control. You got to believe that he's omnipresent. Jeremiah 23, 23. I am, or, am I God near at hand, says the Lord. And not a God far off. Can anyone hide himself in secret places? So I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? God is fully present at all places, at all times. This is something that you need to start with, with your belt of truth, to know this is horrible, but God's in control. I feel alone, but I'm not. He's fully present here with me, and he has sent me his Holy Spirit as a comforter. He's not a God that's far away. He's near at hand, and he hears everything that I say. When the enemy comes at me, I know God's way bigger than him. I know that Satan can't do anything without his permission. God's at all places at all times, and he's fully present there. So when the question comes, where's your God now? You cry out to him, you pray, where is he? To have the belt of truth that says he's right here. And he'll carry me through this. He's right here, and he loves me. He's right here, and I got all of him. Fully present with me right now, and he's in control. You need that. He's omniscient. Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. It's infinite. You'll see people in the midst of tragedy say, well, I know that if God could have stopped it, he would have. Oh, that's a horrible view of God. If you think, like, if God could have stopped it, he would have, or if he knew this was going to happen, he would have changed it, but he didn't. You have a theology that Satan loves, this open theology that says that God is changing and he's learning and he's growing and all these things. That is so far from the pages of Scripture. God is a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, at all places, at all times. He knows all things all together, and he can be trusted. When he says things like, I can work all things together for good to those who love me and are the called according to his purposes, you can know that he not only is willing, but he is able to do that. It changes how we fight, doesn't it? To know that he's holy. 1 Samuel 2.2, no one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Or Psalm 99, verse 5, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Or Revelation 4, 8, there's these four living creatures and each of them have six wings. We're full of eyes around and within. And they don't rest day or night saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Do you picture that? Here's these angelic beings and they're just holy, holy, holy. They know that he's holy. They know that he is perfect in all of his ways and worthy of that. And so when... The enemy comes at us and we start wanting to just talk to God as if he's not the holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God of this universe. God help us during that time to say like, no, 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 I'll cover my mouth. I'll stop. I don't need to have the answers to all this. 
I'll take off my shoes because it's holy ground and I trust a holy God. That foundation matters to us because the enemy would love for us to say, did God really say? Did God really say you shouldn't eat that fruit? He'd love for us to think that God's holding something back from us that he's not perfectly holy in all of his ways. And yet, brothers and sisters, there's these beings that are there day and night and they don't ever rest saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They're not up there day and night saying, most of the time you're holy, sometimes not so much. They're just there, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is is, and is to come. He keeps his promises. He is all-powerful, and he's holy. They don't stop day or night. Put that around your waist before you go into battle. He's holy. He's good. He is good. We see in Scripture, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. He's good. He is good. Not only is he all-powerful, not only is he all-knowing, not only is he at all places at all times, but he's good. If you had an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present being who wasn't all-good, that would be the most frightening thing ever. And yet he's good. He's good. He always does the things that are right. Be thankful to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. He's good. And he's just. There's times in which we look at things that happen and we say, I don't know that I like that. God, why did you do that? God, what are you going to do with that person? How are you going to handle this? Or is that fair? You don't need to have the answers to all those questions. What you do need to know is that there will come a day where there will be songs that are sung. And the song will go like this. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. You are just. We will not be there saying, doesn't really seem fair. We'll be saying, just and true are your ways. I maybe won't get it now. With my little mind, I may not understand an infinite God. But I know the end of the story, and that is, just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Before you go into battle, I think you need the foundational truth that we serve a God who, whose invisible hand orchestrates everything. You think of Daniel chapter 4 and verse 34 where Nebuchadnezzar has gone through all that he's been through and he lifts up his eyes to heaven and his understanding returns to him and he says, And I bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? 
you don't get the idea in passages of Scripture like this that God is like, I wish I could change that, but I can't. If you weren't so strong-willed, I, I, I would maybe be able to do this. That's not the God that we serve. That's not the God of the pages of Scripture. You have a God who says, I do whatever I will to do. That's how I operate. You talk about this belt of truth. You, you have... You have generations that have gone before us that have taught their children in such a way of, here is a catechism. Learn this. Repeat this. Learn it. This week we're going to memorize this one. And so for 52 weeks out of the year, they're memorizing these different questions. Here's the question. Here's the answer. Memorize it. It matters. It will matter to you later on. So the question comes up in the Heidelberg Catechism. What is the providence of God? What do you mean by the providence of God? And here's the answer that's given. Before you go into battle, get this. The almighty and ever-present power of God by which, he, by which God upholds as with His hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. Oh, brothers and sisters, get this. Put this around your waist because there's times in which in your life there is going to be rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty. These things will happen to where in the midst of those things, what do you say? Well, it's just, we just got unlucky. We invested in the wrong stuff. Picked the wrong job. I should have stayed at my old job. Or I should have. To, to be able to say, like, no, he rules things. He rules everything. So when Satan comes at me and says this or says that or makes God look small to me or makes me question God, it's at those times I'm like, no, no. It doesn't come to me by chance, but by his fatherly hand. He loves me. He did this for me. He'll work this for his glory and for my good. And I don't have to get it. I don't have to understand all the details of why this happened. But I can look and say, I trust you. You prepared me for this. You knew this would happen. I'll worship you no matter what. The next question that comes up for the next week in the Heidelberg Catechism is this. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? How does it help us to get what we just memorized? How does that help us? And here's the response. We could be patient when things go against us. Thankful when things go well. And for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will separate us from His love. For all creatures are so completely in God's hand that without His will, they can neither move nor be moved. Oh, that our kids would get that. Oh, that we would get that. That we would get that. That we'd see a God like that. Because when the enemy comes our way and makes God look small, makes us question Him, makes us wonder where was he we look like oh you liar you're a liar i have a truth that's around me that says no nothing comes to me by chance but by his fatherly hand and so in the midst of this i'm going to be patient and when things go well i'm going to be thankful and i have confidence in him it's part of having a world and life view that starts with the truth of Scripture so that you got something to stand on. There's a preciousness in this church because when we 
redid the whole church after purchasing it. Some of you are here. Before the pews came in, before the tile came in, before the stone on the walls came in, before the paint on those walls came in, guess what? We all came in here and just wrote scripture all over the place. Godly tagging. Godly graffiti all over. We just, we wrote scripture all over. Why? Because every bit of our foundation is on God's word and his promises. We trust him. It's true. It's central to everything that takes place here. Belt of truth. You must understand that Jesus Christ is God. Satan would love for you to not think that he's God. And yet, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1. Christ is God, fully God. He became man, and he died for us. Oh, the God that we serve. Satan would love for you to be like, does it really matter? It does. It really matters that your Savior is God Almighty. The foundation of the Holy Spirit, John 14, 16. And I'll pray the Father, and he'll give, me, give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, God says. The Holy Spirit's been given to you, and so when the enemy comes your way, you say, like, no, the Holy Spirit is in me. There's no one that can attack me apart from him allowing these things to occur because I serve a sovereign God, and he is in me. The Holy Spirit is there, and the Holy Spirit comforts me. He comforts me. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. When I read verses like that, and the enemy is going, okay, right now I am the accuser. I'm the accuser. I'm going to throw everything I got at you at how pathetic you are. What a joy it is to say, I'm not yet done. You're right. I may be all of those things, but I have the Holy Spirit in me and he's changing me. He's molding me. He's conforming me into his image. And he'll finish the work he began in me. Satan is known as the accuser. Oh, to start with a belt of truth that says, but the Holy Spirit resides in me. It's important that you know the nature of man, that we're all sinners. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. Or 1 John 1.8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why does this matter? Because we live in a time in which people say, don't talk about sin. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about sinners. Don't change the words to amazing grace because when you say that saved a wretch like me, that just sounds horrible. Like no one wants to be think of as a wretch. 
Don't say stuff like that. And the enemy throws these things. All people are basically good. The only reason why they're not good is because they're the victim of their, their upbringing. But apart from that, they're good. They're, all, all people are basically good. And God says, no, there's none that are righteous. No, not one. There's none who does good. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. Why does that matter? Why would Satan want us to not think that way? Because when you understand the wretch that you are, or that you were, and you see that God paid the price for your sin through Christ's death on the cross, but you deserved hell because of the sin that was within you. The one who has been forgiven much loves much. When you see the depths of your sin, you will love him in a way that's radically different than the person that doesn't say who saved a wretch like me. Grace does not seem nearly as amazing if you're basically good. But when you know the depths of your sin, I love that song. Because that's me. He saved a wretch like me. He saved me. Know your nature. Know that temptation comes. James 1.13 Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. No temptation, but know that there's no temptation that's overtaken man. He always makes a way of escape. This is how temptation occurs. This is the depths of your sin. Don't think you're strong. Don't be so proud to think that you can't fall. Don't think that you're okay. You, you can fall like that. Depend on him. Learn that you need to depend on him in all things. Start with that. How easy it is to fall when we don't think that we'll ever fall. Understand salvation, that it comes by faith alone. Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to, for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, as it is written the just shall live by faith. I am so thankful that I am saved by faith alone. When the enemy comes my way, to know that my response is, all right, accuser, you could come at me with, but you did this, and you did that, and you did this, and you did that, and did, is your good stuff really that good, and does it really outweigh all these bad stuff? And, and to be able to come to a place like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't. My righteousness is filthy rags in his sight, but I'm saved by faith alone. Make me doubt my salvation, and I'll go right back to I'm saved by faith alone. The just shall live by faith. It's not how well I lived, but how well he lived. It's not how well I died, but how well he died. It's him from beginning to end. And so my salvation is based on what Christ has done for me. And my faith is in him. And it's not based on my own righteousness. And I love that. And the enemy hates that we know that. He would love for you to be on this place of like, did I do enough? Did I do enough? Did I do enough? Because it makes Christ's cross look like nothing. But when it's, he did it all, and I'm saved by faith in him, it makes his cross look like everything to us. It's sufficient for us. We love the cross. We're thankful for the cross. We love him. We trust him because he did everything for us. The enemy hates when you have that kind of truth girded around your waist because it makes it really hard for you to fall. 
We're saved by grace alone, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're saved by grace alone. You're saved by Christ alone through the work of Christ and his blood on the cross. Ephesians 1.7, you're saved to the glory of God alone. There's not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble, but God chose the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise, the weak things to put to shame the things which are mighty, the base things and the things which are despised God's chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. He who glories them glory in the Lord. Get that. Have that girded around your waist. Yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing. Nothing I can boast of. I will glory only in Christ. Come at me with whatever fiery darts you got. But the bottom line is, I love him. He did it all. However insufficient I am, he's all sufficient. He did it all. When the enemy comes at you and says, I think you lost your salvation. Because who does something like that? Oh, to be able to say, well, the Father said of all that the Father's given him, that he would lose none. Nothing. Or for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing which shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's around my waist and guess what? You're a part of that whole principality and power thing and you have no ability to separate me from the love of God. God tells me that in scripture. He does not lie. He is always right. So come at me. And I know there's nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ. So when you bring that against me, I just say, you're a liar. Because I read in Romans 8, 38 and 39, something radically different. You're a liar. When the enemy comes and says, God's done with you. Oh, to read Philippians 1, 6 and have that memorized being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Started the work, he'll finish it. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. So when Satan comes and says, you're going to lose your salvation, he'll just say, like, liar, you're a liar. Again, you're a liar. Because he started the work, not me. He'll finish the work, not me. He's the author and he's the finisher. He holds me in his hand. The Father is greater than all, holds me in his hand. And there's no one that can snatch me away. So come at me with whatever you got. And I just know, like, I'm safe. So I'm going to serve him joyfully, loving him, loving grace, because I'm safe in the arms of my Savior, done. What a joy it is to have that around your waist. The church. He'd love for you to say, ah, church isn't that important. Or, to me, church is out at the beach surfing. That's my church. You don't need the church. A bunch of hypocrites there anyhow. You don't need them. You got the radio. You have your own Bible. You don't need the church. He'd love for you to be out there all on your own. And yet God tells us in his words that the whole body has been joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Ephesians 4.16 We matter to each other. He's gifted each one of us in different ways to build up the rest of us to where we need each other. 
He's made it so we all have different functions, but we need each other so that we can be built up, so that we could be strong, so that we could grow. We need each other. So when the enemy comes at you with stuff like that, say like, ah, you're wrong, liar, again. We need each other. We need each other. The church has a purpose. When everybody else thinks that church isn't important, we know that it is because God says that it is and we have that around our waist so we're not leaving. We'll learn to depend upon each other more and more. And finally, and just so you know, this is not even close to exhaustive, although you may feel it is. <laughs> it's not even close to exhaustive. But here's major doctrines that go through Scripture, right? We haven't even touched on prayer. We haven't even touched on fasting. We haven't even touched on evangelism. We haven't even touched on so many parts of the Christian life in which we live. But just start getting why it's important. These things are important to us. To have truth that's there so that when the wiles of the devil come our way, we can stand. This is part of that time. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Why was this written? Because Satan was attacking the church of Corinth at that time, dealing with the resurrection. Lies that came regarding the resurrection. And God says, here you go. There will be a resurrection. We will all be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, this is what's going to occur. So brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Put this around your waist. Be immovable. Always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You will rise again. Encourage one another with these words. Here's truth. Here's what's right. Here's the belt of truth you can put around so when Satan comes at you with his lies, you can be like, nah. I got scripture. It makes it clear what's right. When we study God's word, brothers and sisters, it matters. When we raise our kids in the ways of the Lord, it matters. May these truths be just fixed in our minds that we might be able to stand. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. The truths that are found in your word. I pray that these things will be so fixed in our minds that we will have done all to stand as your Holy Spirit works in us, changing us, preparing us. And that standing is not just so that we can stand and not fall, but it's so that we might gain ground and fight. Enable us to do that for your glory, for your kingdom, for our joy, and for our good. Make us, Lord, that we have your truth around us in every area of our lives. May we start with that. May it be central to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.